wanted to spend some time in the show today talking about experiences that I've had recently due to some healthcare issues that both my husband and I experienced that kind of taught me some lessons and I thought it was important to share some of the experiences that we've had with uh, my audience. And many of you are familiar with my uh, tendency to, to uh, share something I've learned. And I think the last few um, newsletters we've put out, we've often talked about lessons learned. Everything we do in life provides lessons. Uh, it may, we may suffer through them, we may be elated through them, but at any rate, there's always lots of lessons. One of the lessons that I came across lately is the importance of paying attention to little symptoms that, that may be kind of ambiguous and, and not something that stops us from functioning normally during the day, but they're just kind of there in the background. And um, at some point, maybe we sort of begin to feel, you know, maybe I should have this checked out. So I had that experience recently. I was just kind of, I thought it was long COVID. I thought I was just stressing over a project that I've been trying to finish um, and, and so forth. So I kind of was attributing incidental factors to what um, I began to suspect might be something I should have someone else look into beyond myself. So I called Dr. Levy. He is my cardiologist. I've had really just minor, what I might call, he might not call, um, minor suggestions that there were things I had to pay attention to in the past. So I said, let me go see Dr. Levy and see what he would say. So my malaise, because of the testing that he prescribed, turned out to be a little bit more than just plain old malaise. And so doctor, if you wouldn't mind sharing with me kind of your process of how, when a patient comes to you and just says, you know, I just don't feel right. How you respond to that and what you suspect may be going on and what you suggest to people they should be doing when there's something that's just kind of not right. Yeah, so Jean, so obviously this is this is something that actually the primary care uh, in family physicians and internists deal with all day, every day, because it is very, it's actually a very common symptom to be fatigued. And, and so um, as a cardiologist, we, we really kind of in general more focus on more specific cardiac symptoms like passing out, chest pain, shortness of breath with exertion, uh, loss of function of the arms or legs, the loss of the ability to speak that would be warning symptoms of stroke. Um, but the, the primary cares deal with the malaise symptom all the time. And the, and the first the first thing that you know that, that clinicians would do would generally do a battery of uh, of blood work, making sure the person's not anemic, making sure that they're, they're not very low in thyroid, that they don't have electrolyte, you know, abnormalities, you know, really kind of assess them for sleep disturbances that can cause malaise or depression, which could cause malaise. Um but then you also are examining the person to see, do you find things on exam, you know, like, for example, um, in, in, in finding, you know, fluid buildup on exam or irregular rhythm, like that flipped into atrial fibrillation that could certainly, you know, one cause a lot of cardiac symptoms, but could cause malaise or listening to the heart for a murmur you know, to hear, you know, do they have a, a valve uh, problem that would generally cause, that would generally cause things like passing out chest pain and shortness of breath. 
but sometimes uh, people don't notice that symptom depending on how exer- how how physically active they are. And sometimes the symptom can be um, could be just from just feeling fatigued or malaise or, or like you said, you, I think yourself, just not feeling yourself or, or, or feeling like something might not be right. And so all of these things are, are, are factors. Again, at, in cardiology, we are typically more dealing with the, with the main cardiac symptoms, but sometimes um, sometimes the, 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 the symptom is not so clear. It's not the clear chest pain passing out or shortness of breath. And some people just feel like they don't have the energy uh, or, or something's happening. And again, I do think that it, it, you don't want to misrepresent that um, certainly most people that just have fatigue, that's generally not from a cardiac cause. It's generally from another another cause, whereas whereas chest pain, shortness of breath, passing out is very often from a cardiac cause. Uh, but but sometimes uh, patients don't have those other symptoms or maybe just have those other symptoms a little bit, like maybe just they've been short of breath for many years and maybe it's just a little bit worse, but but the, they're actually more noticing the fatigue and just feeling funny. That, that was that was the case for me. That is, is exactly what drove me to pick up. And literally, I didn't necessarily think I had a heart issue. I, I just said, you know what? I just want to call Dr. Levine. It was just as simple as that. And and sure enough, you you prescribed a, a, a sonogram, I, I think it was, and and that was that was revelatory. Yeah, and 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 Jean, you know, so so I think you 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 know, and you said you didn't mind me saying your information that you had had a previous calcium scan and that it showed some plaque in your heart arteries, which we were using it, which we were treating with general prevention. But we did notice that when you had the sonograms many years previously, there was a little bit narrowing of your aortic valve, even though we really didn't hear a, a significant murmur many years ago. But on your exam, when you came in, um, we we the murmur was a little bit louder and and so that led to you know checking the 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 the, the sonogram which would be both a, a checking for uh the, the strength of your heart but also specifically looking at the valves and as 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 you alluded to one of the valves certainly had progressed substantially over a three and a half year period uh that was enough to to go from you know being fairly mild to enough to 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 actually needing a valve replacement. So, it, it, that that instinct, and, and it's I think a lot of people probably have the instincts more often than they recognize. They kind of again, as I did initially, oh, I must have long COVID. I mean, that was that was my general um, explanation, or just that I was literally just tired from all the work I was doing. But it turns out that really it, it was more than that. And it and it, and it was the test uh, that revealed it. So making that call was everything. It was so mm-hmm. critical to have literally sure. just and, decided and, to make that call. Now, you know, the second issue can be also in who do you call? You know, is that expression? Right. Who do you call called Ghostbusters? So, um, you know, who, who is, how do you decide um, the best person. I mean, I, you said it before, your internal medicine doctor is usually your first stop. And for me, that's always been true too. But, um, you know, sometimes you just, again, it was a, some kind of instinct on my part. 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was my unconscious just talking to me. Who knows? Our unconscious has a way of, you yeah. know, being more aware of things than we are sometimes uh, more consciously. I, again, I think for this, the symptom, um, the symptom that 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 you you had. I mean, I think many times people would use their their family physician or their or their primary care uh, physician, and and you could say, well, is it possible that they wouldn't have picked it up? I mean, would they would they have you know? So so for example, the, the primary care physician, if if just for fatigue, they probably wouldn't have ordered an, an echogram, uh, but but knowing that. If, if I think you also had mentioned it over the years, you've had some shortness of breath, but the shortness of breath has not had not really changed as much as the fatigue had. Um, but they may have done an echogram for the shortness of breath component, or if they would have heard the murmur, you know. And and again, you know, it probably is. I mean, if, certainly you don't have to be a cardiologist to hear a murmur, but honestly, a cardiologist is more going to hear a, a lighter murmur than a. a than, than probably a primary care. But okay. if a primary care would have heard the murmur, they would have ordered the echogram too. And I think again, that um, for you, you were already, even though we we hadn't seen each other for, for a number of years, but we, you were already established with the cardiologist. You already knew me from previous uh, visits. And, uh, and, and, and again, that, you know, so we knew from even before you came in that you had a little bit narrowing of your aortic valve three and a half years ago. And honestly, it was pretty mild then. I but actually it, forgot that to tell you the truth. Yeah, yeah. I remembered the calcium level being high. That's the only thing I yeah. knew. But I knew that that was a, a pretty serious indicator, you know, of, of plaque in the arteries. That much I remembered. Yeah. And that and so for me, that was enough to just yeah. So, so you you had had a calcium score years ago, and the perfect calcium score is zero, meaning no plaque in the arteries. And many people in our society, not not too many people, are going to reach uh you know middle age and, and 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 a little bit older ages without having plaque in their arteries. But the higher your calcium score is, the more chance you have of having a significant blockage in the heart arteries. Um, and and we try vigorously to prevent the blockages from worsening by getting the cholesterol good, trying to get the uh, blood pressure good, getting the exercise high, you know, be, having being on some protective uh, medications, um, and uh, and 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 if the and if the calcium score is really high, we periodically do a stress test, um, you know, and and sometimes yeah, the we can. One we, I the, remember was was notably high, but actually, you just raised another issue for me, and and that is, I think we all have maybe a little bit of a tendency that if we're taking like, um, I take uh, Losartan and a statin, so those are classic uh, drugs to take for blood pressure and for cholesterol. So you kind of think in your mind, oh, oh, I'm I'm okay because I'm taking these two drugs. Not really true. Right. And so so certainly those are both families of medicines that have tremendous evidence for protecting against progression of heart disease and treating heart disease and decreasing the risk of clinical events. Now, neither of those would be very effective for preventing effect, uh, progression of valve disease. Uh, and said it, and they certainly they're not very effective for, for example, for preventing atrial fibrillation. So there are many heart conditions and cardiovascular conditions that can occur despite being on pretty good medicines for blood pressure and cholesterol. That would be very good for preventing 
lowering the cholesterol, for lowering the blood pressure and preventing the progression of the artery disease and preventing heart attacks and strokes, but wouldn't necessarily prevent everything else that, that can, can happen from the cardiovascular standpoint. Exactly. And that's, and that's something that I think is another mistake. So I, I, I've been sort of trying to, to clarify in my mind certain principles of prevention. And one of them I have is, you know, take note of an issue. Don't ignore it. Don't push it to the back of your mind. Pay attention to it. Um, go to a doctor and, 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 and nail what what's, might be going on. Yeah. And, and Jean, otherwise... the, the, other, the other important thing is, is that you know, so people should, in general, be seeing their, their their physician on a on a yearly basis, and and so some new symptom like that. So in your case, it turned out to be a valve, but some people will have a a problem that, that they actually have developed a malignancy. You know, or or they or they or they they're bleeding from the gastrointestinal tract, or or their thyroid has become really uh you know abnormal. All of which can hurt long term health but can make you feel bad and are easily treatable you know so so there are a lot of other things that 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 can cause malaise and just not feeling right and 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 it can be anywhere from depression bad sleep stress to to serious illnesses and that's why you know people should uh you know be be assessed at least on an, a yearly basis and probably even a little bit more often if they have some new symptoms you know, you just struck a, a chord for me on something else. There's a there's another factor that determines whether people get the care they need. And this is I, I know you're gonna this is gonna be familiar to me, to you. To me, it is totally irrational, illogical, and almost in some ways psychopathic. I have a relative who will not get regular testing. A woman who doesn't get pap smears, doesn't get um, uh, mammograms and 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 the reasoning is some kind of inexplicable fear, which is so irrational because it is the failure to do those tests that you should be afraid of the results of. Because you, if you're not doing the tests, you're not you're not aware whatsoever of something that could be caught early and dealt with that you leave it alone and do nothing but progress to the point when you do discover it, it's too late. So, I mean, this person just shocks me because um, she's otherwise a perfectly reasonable human being, cares about other people, tries to pay attention to this, that. She was so like um, phobic about COVID, she wouldn't go anywhere. And yet she doesn't get her mammograms and pap smears. I don't think there are a lot of people like that, 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 that really try to avoid them getting their, themselves getting tests. They don't, they don't, they don't get mammograms. They don't get colonoscopies. Um, they don't get heart checks despite having some symptoms. And, and just for example, um, my, my mom was like that. And, and my mom made my that's dad really, go, that's my gotta mom, be my mom made my dad go to the go to the doctor all the time and she forced him but she she wouldn't go herself you know so she was afraid for herself and didn't want anything but she was she really wanted my dad to to go and um you know and 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 there are many people like that 
uh, that that avoid. And it's certainly a mistake to do that. Uh, you can't make someone go. You can encourage them to uh, to do so. Um, but but for some reason, some people are afraid of a test or a procedure uh, when they actually should be, as you said, they should be much more afraid of, of what could happen if they don't get the test or get the correct treatment for for their for the disorder. The other two things I wanted to talk about before we run out of time, um, recommendations. I, I almost never go to a doctor without asking for recommendations on other things that I feel I should check into and for one reason or another have not done so. Um, or I may have doc, a doctor in a particular specialty that I don't feel, again, without any necessarily concrete uh, impression of whether they're missing the boat or not, but just kind of feel like, hey, wouldn't a second opinion help? And I think a lot of people are embarrassed to do a second opinion because it, 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 it's, it's kind of like, telling somebody you're not really sure you like them or something, and, and one doesn't want to do that. But um, I make a point of asking doctors who I know are on the ball one way or another for their recommendation for a doctor in a different area that I feel I should probably get a consulting opinion. And that's another thing that I think people are hesitant to do and don't do. I do it almost every time I see it. Yeah. And, and so, so I, I mean, I, I, I very, very commonly have my patients ask me, could I recommend a new primary care because they're not satisfied with their primary care? Could I recommend a different GI doctor or a different kidney doctor, you know, because they're not satisfied with the person that they're, they're seeing, uh, that they have a skin lesion that they want to see a particular, you know, a good, a good dermatologist. So I think as physicians, we very, very commonly are giving advice about, you know, some other potential uh, colleagues who, who we respect and who we think would have a good rapport with the with the individual patient. And and then you then there would be situations where I mean, a physician. I'm, I'm a cardiologist. Where the where the where the patient may actually ask who for my opinion on a second opinion from a cardiologist, because they just, they, they want to have reassurance that we are on the right track. And honestly, that on, that's not very common, but I, I wouldn't be offended by, by that at all. And I would be very happy, you know, to, to recommend a colleague at Ashna, who's one of my colleagues, or if they wanted to have a colleague outside of Ashna, you know, somewhere else in town, that would be a good, you know, person to 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 to, to give an independent assessment. Uh, like I said, that's that's less common than asking for a a, a person in a, another field. But yeah, you know, so well, we, we we shouldn't hesitate to ask. I I totally totally agree, and and I think that again we we out. we very commonly give advice on colleagues outside of our field, uh, but it's certainly it's 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 not it's it's not inappropriate for people to even ask for a second opinion in the field if they if they if either they just don't have total confidence and and I don't think we should the patient should be worried about the the physician being offended because most of us really are not you know most of us really think that you know we we we're, we're on top of it good enough and that chances are the person that they're going to see they're going to see is going to think what we're doing is reasonable 
Uh, or if they have another idea, what's the what what? It's what, not going to hurt. It's not going to hurt any, any. It's not going to hurt the patient or 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 me or right. you know to, uh, to 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 for them to get a different opinion. So another area that I want to uh, touch on, um, because this is one that I'm I'm extremely concerned about, and I'm just beginning to look into this, but. Um, my husband had a very bizarre accident. There's a thing called um, unintended uh, acceleration where a car takes off where you did not put your foot on the accelerator. Uh, it's actually a class action suit against um, uh, Subaru ha has a problem with this that hasn't been routed out. So he uh, winds up slamming into an oak tree and winds up with fractured knees. And then I had to try to find a nursing home uh, for him, a skilled nursing home, discovered that we have uh, very limited resources in the city for that. And so um, I'm concerned about whether there's been enough work done in this marketplace for dealing, especially as we are seeing more of the, of the boomer generation um, hit our hospitals. And I know that on top of the pandemic, is having an impact in terms of, you know, burnout, nursing care shortage, and so on. But um, we've got, I think, I, I want to hear your thoughts. So, do you, would you agree with me that we really have to, to do something about making sure that we have adequate services available in the skilled nursing category in particular? Because that's where someone has to be yeah. in an institution longer. Sure, and and that, and obviously, Gene, that's that's beyond what I, what I would deal with on a on a daily basis. But I think the the point is is that there are many aspects of uh, of of healthcare that that in general can be improved, and probably are or even more problematic now uh, and than than in even previous years. I mean, we we have a, a serious nursing shortage uh, right now. Uh, we have uh, we have very, very serious shortages in psychiatric care. You know, so mental health is a big issue that um, that there's under uh, there's, there's certainly under uh, utilization and there's not not enough people in the field. It's hard to get appointments. Uh, there's not enough hospitals, there's not enough treatment you know facilities. and you brought up one uh, in the nursing or skilled nursing. Uh, areas are all things that uh, that 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 are very important, uh, but but probably we don't have adequate uh, resources right now. You know, in in our area and or in probably in many areas. I think and we have to something... raise awareness about this and really sort of. There's so many crises going on right now in the world and locally that you hate to think that there's yet another one that you have to really um, get on. But I think that's one. I also wanted to um, to just mention that I think there's a way of definitely, despite whatever the situation might be in a facility, whatever the problems may be, whether it's a shortage of nurses, or um, I don't I don't know. Because of that, that leads to other issues such as uh, losing your staffing, having to have um, consulting services instead of full-time committed to your institution and patient care uh, and so on. So you deal with these issues in, in many different ways, but I, I feel like part of what, what's going on is that, um, do we not pay enough in, in our marketplace to some extent? Is that part of an issue? And do we have to be looking at how, how do we both make sure that we're 
competing with other markets. And then, and this is of course something we know is happening in other fields such as the police. Uh, uh, but uh, is there um, a possibility that we also need to be thinking a little bit harder about making sure that our, our young people coming out of our high schools, our community schools, um, know about the opportunities in certain fields and actually pursue them. I, I have a feeling that a lot of our high school students that we lose, that we literally lose to the streets is because they don't really understand what their opportunities are based on their skills. And so uh, I, I know, for example, Oshner has a new affiliation with, uh, well, you've always had, you've had before, but now it's grown with the development of a nursing school at, um, at uh, um, uh, Delgado. And yeah. so that's gonna make a big difference. But is that something that we should be working on as a kind of public private policy in this marketplace? Yeah, you know, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I mean, so getting the getting the young people trained uh, into into areas that they could be productive uh, and 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 make very good 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 livings and have good careers, I think is uh, is certainly extremely important. Um, and 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 it should be a, a, an emphasis. Uh, Oshner is involved in many areas to in, to try to improve the the nursing, to try to improve uh, various various parts of allied health, the pharmacy, uh, you know, business with pharmacists and and people that can 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 work the hospitals and the and the clinics and and uh, so so all of these areas are important. Also, mental health, as I mentioned earlier, I think is a critical uh, issue. And I just think that, life uh, coaching is, a, is another way to look at that, too. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's not uh, anybody has a real serious psychological, um, uh, let's say, um, failing or disease, but rather that they literally just haven't learned a way to manage life. In a way, and so I think absolutely, and I think that you know one of the the things with one of the one of the the issues with the mental health issue, I think it's a multifactorial, but I think that things that things like all the bad things that are going on in our in our society, the uh, the, 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 the 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 criminal element in our society that that is causing stress on people, uh, the the drug use. Is uh is is a major problem, and sometimes it's mental health that leads to drug use, but a lot of times it's drug use that ends up causing uh, mental health issues. Uh, it's lack of physical activity, which is which is important for mental health and physical health, and so many of our diseases could be prevented if people were very physically active, starting at young ages and continuing through their lives. So it's it's a multifactorial process. There's not an easy answer, but certainly as a uh, as a medical facility and a society, we should be trying to uh, emphasize all of these areas to improve the health. We've covered a lot of territory, so and and I think I'm at my time limit for you that we agreed to. But I would like to just ask you if there's some uh, aspect of what we've been talking about that um, you were thinking about that I did not ask you. You know, I think I think Gene, we covered a a a, a broad area. Uh, like I said, that the 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 two things that I, that I really emphasize is that uh, I do think that that 
that I just brought it up just now, but I do think physical activity is something that is is so important because it's important for both mental health and, and physical health. And physical activity Im improves cardiovascular risk tremendously. And one of the biggest factors that, uh, that, that, uh, that promotes good prognosis is having a, a higher level of fitness. And you, you, fitness is somewhat inherited. It's, there is a genetic component of fitness, but the biggest way one can become more fit is by regular physical activity. And physical activity has a tremendous impact on lessening depression, anxiety, and other psychological health factors. And so that's, a, that's something that that really needs to be better promoted and 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 act and 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 promoted in at from starting in childhood uh to to throughout the uh throughout the aging process and it would have a tremendous impact on improving the psychological and physical health of our population it sounds like such conventional wisdom that we tend not to pay attention to but i've noticed i'm a a, a heavy news reader. I just have to be to keep up with what's going on for my radio show and my newsletter. But um, I, I don't think I pick up the science section of the New York Times on any given week. They run them on Tuesday that they don't have half a page that's talking about the benefits of physical activity. So I know that there, uh, and in each article, it, it sort of sounds the same, but it's got a different angle to it. And, and so, I've been interviewed many uh, times by that New York Times uh, reporter, so. Yeah, okay, yeah. so you're one of those sources. Yeah. Uh, it's been terrific. I really so much appreciate your time and I look forward to catching up with you again. Um, and uh, if, if there's a development that comes along that you think is important for people to know, Please take my thanks, Jane. It was a pleasure talking with you today, and best of health to you. And uh, thank you very much. This may be a, a, a kind of crazy interview, you all, because I am actually <laughs> in a hospital uh, recovering from a little procedure I did yesterday, but um, I was w really wanting to get this on because we put some work into it and we had an audio problem with the last recording. So Nadja Bynum is with us. Nadja has been so involved in the Treme neighborhood for very long since she's worked on, I don't remember the exact year, I think you said it was about 2006 um, that you actually started uh, the Neighborhood Association for Treme. And um, and uh, I forget the year that you first started the Treme Fall Festival. Uh, remind me of that, please. Uh, 2015. 2015. So you've been at it. And um, this year is a special at it, you might say, because it is, of course, a festival. And we have festivals all the time in New Orleans. But this is a very special one because it's really about the culture of Treme. It's called Treme Fall Festival, but it's it's a celebration of the cultural history and the continuing uh, experience of our um, culture in, in the Treme area, which is one of the most important neighborhoods in America. It was the first African-American neighborhood. And um, that's, that's saying a lot about not only <coughs> Treme, the neighborhood, but the city of New Orleans that it supported that. I have to get that in because 
you know, people don't necessarily get credit for supporting things that uh, from the background, but somebody back then, you know, thought it was a good idea to support it and did so. Um, so we have it coming up uh, October 22nd and 3rd with a patron party just before it. I'm going to let uh, Nadja really roll with this and, and, and give you the details because there's so much. There's you know, parades, performers and crafts and food. And um, uh, one of my favorite things is the youth village. So um, Nadja, just roll. Tell us about it. Okay. Well, good morning. Uh, yes, the Friends of Treme Culture is a nonprofit here in Treme, and we're hosting this year the seventh annual Treme Fall Festival. So this is after COVID, so we're excited about getting back on track. So the festival is about highlighting and keeping alive the culture in Treme. We have lots of history here, lots of beautiful architecture. We have lots of musicians from here, and you know. They're still hanging in there, but you know, we want to make sure they don't disappear or, or we don't support them enough to keep going. So every year, the purpose of this festival is to raise money to bring, give back to the community to help support the culture. So we, with the, whatever proceeds we have, we put most of it toward giving grants to the neighborhood organizations that are is culture related. Besides the, uh, the St. Augustine Catholic Church, that is a icon in this neighborhood that was originated in 1841. We cannot lose that church. It has so much history. So many of the historians in Treme went through there, was either raised there you know, in, in that church or had uh, first communion, but they also were historians for this community. So the main, that's the main purpose. So we have two steps, I guess, yourself three. One is on, we have a patron party. The patron party allows us to raise most of the funds besides grants and sponsors. Sponsors help us surely, and then it's the patron party. So we, we raise the funds from there to, again, contribute toward the pot to have money uh, for the, our grants. So the patron party is going to be October 13th. That's a Thursday at the New Orleans Mint or was now the Jazz Museum in 400 block of Esplanade. And that's coming up this next Thursday from 6 to 9 p.m. So we're gonna have auctions, we're gonna have food, we're gonna have drinks, uh, we're gonna have introduction of a couple of new art artists in the neighborhood, but it's not in the neighborhood in the community such as Indus Blue. This is, she's having um, her introduction to music in a sense. So she's going to be there performing for a while. And then we have a person named Reginald Moses who's going to be there besides James Andrews, whose family we are honoring. So we always honor a person or a, a community group every year so we can keep uplifting those who are contributing to our culture. So again, that's, when, that's next Thursday. And I guess that's mostly it about that. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, anyone interested can go to tremefest.org to get more information. And we have a poster. I wanna talk about the poster. The poster is honoring the James Andrews family. That's James Andrews, Troy Trombone Shorty, and their mother, Lois. Lois was a baby doll who passed this last year. So when you see our, when you see our uh, poster, you'll see the family. And so the family, uh, again, is a big contributor to the neighborhood. 
So moving on, I'll talk about the festival, which the outdoor festival, which is on Saturday, October the 22nd. The festival is gonna be kicked off at 10 o'clock in the morning with a parade. And this is the first time we're having a parade part of the festival. The parade will begin at 10 at the corner of Esplanade Avenue in North Robertson. And in the parade, we're gonna have lots of representatives of the culture. Besides having community organizations who've been invited to be a part of it, we're also gonna have some baby dolls. We're gonna have Benny Jones and his band. We have another couple of bands, I'm not remembering everything, we're gonna have Indians. So we're gonna have a parade that will be representing the community as well as the culture. That's and great. that parade will be again at 10 o'clock and it's gonna zigzag in the neighborhood and end up in the grounds of St. Augustine where the, most of the activities for the festival will be going on. So at 11 o'clock, we plan to kick the music up on the stage in St. Augustine's uh, church. Uh, we're gonna have craft, uh, New Orleans local crafts and for food, we're gonna have um, Lil Dizzy's and we're gonna have Bocasson's Creole Cafe who just opened recently. Uh, we're gonna have, um, uh, yeah, Bocasson's and uh, we're gonna have, uh, think about some of the other ones. Sprouts is right on the corner which is Joan Rose's uh, business. So we're gonna have again, food representing local New Orleans excellent food. And then we're gonna have craftspeople, as I mentioned, we're gonna have a variety of them with, with jewelry, uh, with um, art, of course, and um, different miscellaneous wonderful things. <laughs> so uh, then, okay, we, of course I mentioned the sponsors, the importance of them. We have our key vendor, I'm sorry, our key sponsor is Liberty Bank. They're celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. So we're so happy that they're gonna be a part of us to help that celebration. So we also have uh, the Entergy and New Orleans uh, NOTCF, the, the cultural organization here as far as um, sponsors. Okay, back to the uh, festival. Again, we're also gonna have community groups because we have the African-American Museum. Backstreet Museum is back operating in Intrame. So they're gonna have a booth. So we're gonna have lots of that going on. In the, at the festival from 11 in the morning on October 22nd to seven at night. So I think that's a general overview of the activities uh, of the festival. I'll say. <laughs> so, no, that sounds a really great, um, um, Naja. I'm, I'm just wild about it. It's always been a great festival, but uh, this year you've uh, really outdone yourself. <clears throat> People would be crazy not to show up. So let's repeat just one more time the times because there's so much, but at least like the the the, the days and um, uh, the okay. key moments, and uh, and then uh, we'll we'll have done the story. Okay, I'll go. So on Thursday, October the 13th, this next Thursday, from six to nine p.m. at the Jazz Museum, or what the place we normally call the Mint, from six to nine p.m. 400. Um, Esplanade Avenue, we are going to have the patron party. Just as a summary, we're going to have music, we're going to have food, and we're going to have about 80 auction items of a variety available for wow. folks to have fun to um, bid on, and that also helps contribute to our fun. We're going to have good food, of course, as, as in any New Orleans activity. 
So that's on Thursday, October 13th. And then the next week, the next Saturday, that's Saturday, October the 22nd, I'm gonna say from 10 o'clock because that's when the parade will begin at the corner of Esplanade and North Robinson. And then it's gonna wiggle through Treme and end up on the grounds of St. Augustine. And that's in the 1100 block of Henriette DeLille. We're gonna be going into the grounds and uh, start the festival part on stage. Uh, when we're gonna have just one thing I didn't mention is we're gonna have James Andrews with Naja Kojo. We're gonna have a group uh, with Shannon Powell, uh, with Perlin Raleigh, uh, Jason Marcellus. We're also gonna have Erica Falls. Uh, we're gonna have Sun Pie uh, with his um, group, uh, Little Freddie King. So we're gonna have the music from 11 in the morning to seven at night. Okay, again, Whoa. the craft and, and food for your enjoyment. Fantastic. The whole I didn't thing say, so uh, I forgot, I'm sorry to cut you off. I failed to mention that on Sunday, we're gonna close the festival out with a jazz, a gospel mass yes. at St. Yeah. Augustine Church. St. Augustine Church is in disrepair from, all the way from Ida. And so now the mass is in the hall. So a part of our proceeds is to help them, but we will be having the mass there, the gospel mass on Sunday, the next day, the 23rd of October at 10 o'clock in the morning. So All right, on. now that <laughs> is just totally amazing and we're just out of time. And okay. um, I, I love what you're doing and, and don't forget everybody, this is to benefit um, the culture of Treme. And if you don't know enough about it, now's your chance to catch up and to really experience its, its strength, its beauty its um, persistence for 300 years or so and still going and new things happening all the time. Nadja Bynum, thank you so much for what you do for the community and uh, for the city. Uh, inevitably, any festival that we do, whatever neighborhood benefits the whole city. You take care and have a blast. And I hope maybe, I don't know whether I'll be able to get yes, there or not. Will. We'll see. Okay. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it. Uh, I'd love right. to have you. Thank you so right. much.